0: You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for the Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you, and I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games. As long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Hi everybody, welcome to another podcast episode. I forget what episode I'm on at the moment because talk about being rushed in the last couple of weeks. Man, a mixture of work, social and blog. I've just been flat out. And I mean, some of that is work because it's the end of March, which means there's a lot of, uh, shall we say, work to get done for a tax accountant, a corporate tax accountant at the end of March. But also, I've been doing a lot of social stuff, meeting up with people, playing online video gaming and just board gaming in general. But also, mainly, I caught COVID. Yes, you're probably wondering, where was the podcast for the previous uh, two weeks ago? Well... I went to my brother's Stagdo earlier in March and it was a good laugh. Had some fun, met some new people, and that. But going around multiple different pubs and clubs in Leicester and a rugby ground was enough for me to finally breach the the immunity to COVID, shall we say. I'd lasted two years, double vaxxed booster, no problem. I knew it was inevitable I was going to get it at some stage, and that was what tipped me over. So I tested positive a couple of days after with a sore throat. I've still got a slightly phlegmy throat at the the moment but uh you know nothing too bad but honestly you know thank you to everybody who did wish me well uh, during that time I really do appreciate it you know it was very kind of you all but honestly I basically had what mild apart from the throat which I started with I had mild flu symptoms the first day so a fever a headache and you know phlegm and that but not enough to make me not work I was still able to do work but you know, all I did was sit on my laptop with a cold flannel on the back of my neck because I find that to be the universal soothing cure for a fever. Cold flannel, back in the neck, trust me, works wonders. But the it's something to do with an artery or um, a nerve in the back of your neck that leads to your brain or something. It's like pretty good for fevers, you know, definitely recommend it. But I you know I was out of action for the blog basically because even though afterwards all I had was a sore throat and a sinus infection not infection sinus congestion basically I just had a cold for about six seven days that was all the COVID really did to me but with that throat and that cold it was not really doable to get any recording done because I just wouldn't be able to speak for too long before I had to take breaks so I basically just decided to knock um, you know board game videos on the head and it obviously meant that I couldn't really do the last podcast because I was just not able to really get an hour of speaking and even though I've still got the slight phlegmy throat it's doable with a drink I'm fine at the moment but I tested negative last Wednesday and I've been negative since even when I had a headache this morning I tested negative so it was just a random headache but uh yeah thanks to everybody who wished me well uh hopefully that'll be the last time I get it but who knows you can't you can't avoid it. You've got to live with it these days, but I've got it. At least I can say I am one of the cool people now, I guess, but honestly, it was kind of anticlimactic. I was expecting more, not just a cold, really, so honestly, a normal flu knocks me out more than that did. The first boost, the first jab knocked me out more than that did. In fact, the caffeine withdrawal symptoms I got during my time off, because I was trying to drink less caffeine and hydrate, That knocked me further sideways than the uh, COVID virus did. So it was a little bit weird. But as I say, I'm recovered. All good. Slight phlegmy throat. But really, I might as well be 99, percent recovered now. So thanks for everybody wishing me well. But it's time to get back into some videos. As you have seen, I have put out things like the Sentinels and the Multiverse uh, review finally went out. I wish I could have done that earlier. But sadly, COVID got in the way. I would have loved to have done it sooner. But thanks to everybody who has watched it. The competition winner has been announced for that one, the giveaway. Chewy Lowe is the winner of this one on the YouTube comments. He's already been noti- They've already been notified and got a response, so I'll be sending it out as soon as I can. Though it might have to wait until after this weekend because I'm going to a uh, shake battle in roll or whatever the horrible name is for the convention now in Southampton. So I'll be busy for Friday, Saturday and Sunday. So you might have to wait until next week for me to send it out, but it's on. It's going to happen. So uh, congrats to you. There will be more giveaways. I mean, uh, Kiendra is offering to do uh, 50 quid vouchers around that figure for their website. So I'll be doing giveaways for those. This is more them doing the competition and me just sharing it as opposed to the other way around. But still, it's a giveaway. And also I have the Quacks of Mega Megabox there to do a Beyond the Base game video for, kindly donated by Zatu Games. And I will be doing a Beyond the Base game video for that, but at the same time also doing a giveaway for a copy of the Megabox, which will be delivered in the UK only from Zatu.co.uk. So yeah, be on the lookout for those. But also, because COVID hit me in a bad way, I was forced to basically do a compilation video for Libertalia, Hadrian's Wall, and Bad Company. I wanted to do separate videos. I ideally would have done separate videos. Even people in the comments said separate videos would have been better. Yes, I get that, but I was late with these. I needed to get them done. There's other things I want to do, like top 10 lists and get back to collaborations. I mean, solo playthroughs, Ninja Geek games, and One Pit Wonder. I want to do more... uh, collaboration top tens with me so i need to get those done and i just had to get these reviews out so i decided to do a compilation video which is interesting to say the least because it's generating more views than the sentinels in the multiverse review in fact the sentinels in the multiverse review is not really generating a lot of views considering the amount of effort that went into it which is a little bit sad really i thought it would be a bit more popular but Yeah, well, you know it's there for people to see, and you know the other one is doing pretty well so far, which is uh, good to see. But I wish I could have made it three separate videos. And literally only about a few hours ago, the comparison video between both Sentinels and the Multiverse editions is up, with a full explanation of what's different in each. I don't expect it to get a ton of views. Maybe Sentinels the Multiverse just isn't that popular with people at the moment. I don't know. Um, I watched Tom Vassell's review of it recently, and I was appalled with his rating. Seriously, wrong. But, uh, oh well, like I say, different strokes. But I was expecting this rating to be a lot higher than it actually was. It's a fantastic game. No, you've got to try it. But, you know, the rest of the channel, you know, has been doing fine. Other videos have done okay. Some haven't done as well as I helped. You know, the Kickstarter review for Aho was a bit of a, a, bit of a disaster, really. But, uh, honestly, once I'm done with Autobahn, which I think is the last Kickstarter, pre-Kickstarter game I have, which I haven't even had a chance to look at yet. Once I'm done with that, I think I'm just done with Kickstarter preview videos. I mean, some people are getting them sent to them more often than me which is you know and I don't want to have to be chasing up publishers to try and get pre-kickstarter copies because honestly I just don't like looking at an unfinished product with a rule book that isn't well written at the time it's I just rather would do finished games so you know once I'm done with this autobahn that'll probably be it for pre-kickstarter previews I'm just more a final product type person really Uh, But, you know, other than that, thank you for the comments that people have been giving me on Patreon and on YouTube, particularly new people who haven't seen me before. I've had some very nice feedback from people for things like, uh, let me get off the screen actually, and put me in a bigger face, but, you know, I've had some good feedback from those saying, you know, like, thanks for what you do, you've helped me make a good decision, you know, love what you're doing, being anti-hype, going against the grain, speaking honestly and stuff like that, which... I'm glad to hear, actually, because lately that's kind of... I mean, that is my shtick. I will talk honestly. I will talk bad about a game. I'll talk good about a game. I will not subject to hype nor peer pressures. And that's the way I roll. And some people like it. Some people don't. But I'm glad to see that there are people who do respect the channel and myself for it. Even if it does mean that publishers don't. And that is the downside of being the honest Joe on these things. Uh, you do get somewhat subtly blacklisted by publishers because some publishers can take a constructive criticism, some can't. And I do notice with some, like, uh, publishers where review copies seem to get allocated to everybody but me and like you know most of my time I have to buy it myself or I have to hope that uh, a retailer or Asmodee as a distributor here will send me a copy in fact to be honest most of the review copies I've had lately have been from Zatu, Kienda, and you know Asmodee that's it you know Single publishers have barely sent me anything, with the exception, I will say, of, you know, Alicat Games, who do send me stuff now and again. They are based in Britain, I suppose that makes it easier. And Osprey Games, who very kindly send me stuff out of the blue without even me asking for it. And, you know, fair play to them. You know, bear in mind that doesn't give you a free pass to for a bad game, but, you know, I'll still talk honestly, but it's just nice to get stuff sent, really. But, you know, it's difficult to get international publishers to send stuff partially, Britain's uh, shipping costs are a pain in the butt, thank you Brexit, but uh, otherwise, I think it's just, people are just afraid of getting an honest answer now and again, I mean, uh, you know, I've seen nothing from the likes of, you know, stonemire Portal, Garfield Games, and, you know, I don't, I never got stuff from things like Days of Wonder or Fantasy Flight and that normally, uh, yeah, it's just the way it is, but that's what I do, I'm not going, I'm not I'm sticking to my guns, I'm sticking to my uh, morals when I do my videos, you know, honest uh, reviews, whether it's good or bad, it hurts me from a review copy perspective, but, you know, some people are willing to step up and, you know, help me out, and failing that, I just have to run with it and just accept that that's just a way of life, you know, you you lot appreciate it, so thank you very much for that, I do appreciate it as well, (laughs) sorry, I appreciate you liking it, (laughs) if that makes sense. So anyway, enough, of uh, like pleading and, you know, moaning and stuff like that. Let's get on with the episode. I am recording this on the Wednesday. It's straight after my games club. This is the 30th of March. I'm recording this episode early because I'm not going to have time tomorrow and I'm away this weekend. So I need to get the podcast episode edited tonight or it won't air on Sunday. So it's, it's kind of like that. Uh, But just a reminder for i mean i haven't got a channel shout out specifically but just a reminder hashtag support small creators myself and all the other channels that are that are small don't have a lot of subscribers don't get a lot of views you know because bearing in mind subscriber count doesn't necessarily equate to viewership okay there is a there is a difference between the two but you know basically go and support small channels okay whoever you pick whether it's myself or loads of others just be certain to show your appreciation for smaller channels so it's just a broad shout out because that's what I do right take a swig of my delicious blackcurrant squash that's pretty much all I can do So, we have got mainly just games I've played, because I have played a lot of new games. uh, Well, not new, 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 new games, but, you know, stuff I've not played before, so I want to talk about three of those. And we've got another Patreon uh, submitted question for me to talk about on the podcast from Emily, who you may recall submitted questions before, you know, which I've answered. But Emily, so far, to be fair to you, you're coming up with really good topics, so uh, (laughs) I can't exactly turn down a very good topic when it turns up, uh, where we talk about what um, what factors make me grow sick of a game and i figured considering i was going to talk about being sick on covid it kind of made it kind of just jailed quite well anyway let's get on to some games that i've played so first off we're going to take a look at the raiders of Scythia. raiders of cyphia need to share the screen again we'll just get on to that momentarily but raiders of Scythia is basically a shall we say, I don't know if I would call it 1.5. It feels like it's 1.2. It's basically Raiders of the North Sea with different artwork and a couple of rules tweaks. That's pretty much it. It's from uh, Garpill Games. And so, you know, if you know Raiders of the North Sea, you will recall that as being a really good game. I've got it in my collection, fully expanded with a playmat. It's awesome, but it's probably the only good game out of the north sea trilogy at least the only major good one but yeah nine out of ten i love it it's a solid game very nice and easy as the base set and you can expand it more but with introducing a simplistic worker placement system of getting a band of people in your crew and going off and raiding villages for resources and points it's very straightforward but i love this mechanic of having to place a meeple down And then take the action and then pick a meeple back up and do the action of the space you took a meeple from. I can't think of any other game other than this and Raiders of Scythia that does that mechanic. If you know of any, let me know in the comments. I'd be interested to know. But off the top of my head, I can't think of anything like that. But it's a great game. Beautiful as all get out. I love the look of the board, particularly the playmat. It's just a solid game. Now, Raiders of Scythia, I think it's pronounced, um, came out in 2020... And it's basically set... uh, I forget where it's actually set. Where does it explain? I'm not a big historian. Uh, Greek, Persian, and Assyrian empires. Okay? Okay, fine. Whatever. I mean, I don't know much about history. So, you know, it's kind of lost on me. But basically, it's, you know, men and women in armor on horseback with eagles, archers, stuff like that. But the crux of this game is basically North Sea. You have a board... You build up a crew of people, except in this one you have a leader to start the game with, which is slightly different and cool. And then on this board, which, um, well, we'll get onto the graphic design in a minute, uh, you basically have the top part of the board where you place a worker, do an action, take a worker off, do an action. Funny enough, my friend who taught me this revealed that he'd been playing it wrong the last two times by not taking an action when he took a meeple off oh man that must have dragged the game out like crazy but the shock on his face when I revealed to him saying are you sure you don't take an action when you take a meeple off because that's what North Sea does it was a revelation but you know yes you do take an action both meeples But then you've got these four areas much like the four areas in north sea where you have tiles with resources on them and then you go and attack the region with your meeple and your crew contribute strength you roll a couple of dice you may take some wounds and you get some victory points as well as the resources it is basically rangers of the north sea which begs the question why was this made i honestly don't know you want to know what's different apart from artwork and graphic design you start with a leader which is quite cool. The leader doesn't contribute strength. It has a flag action, which you can go to a, a spot to trigger a flag action if you have it in your crew. Other than that, though, you just basically have horses and you know eagles that you use... Uh, you know, and some elements that come out of the first expansion of Raiders of the North Sea. And that's kind of what this feels like. It's like they took the first expansion for North Sea and then combined it into this base set, removing one or two aspects and adding one or two others. So the crux of the game is pretty straightforward. I mean, when the rules were being explained, it's like, yeah, I kind of know how this works. We've been doing it in North Sea like crazy. You still have the ability that the character gives you when it's in your crew. You still have the ability you get when you discard it from an action spot but these eagles and horses you can buy from another space with resources. The horses do nothing but contribute strength and victory points. Boring. And the eagles mainly just give you another flag action or might double the effect of one of your abilities. They're not bad. They're a bit more interesting. But still, I was kind of hoping the horses and eagles would just do more interesting things other than just slot into your board. Yeah, the horses only work when there's a character and you can't move the horse when the character dies which makes no sense. If the character on it dies, why can't I just move another character onto the horse? It just seems barmy that you have to keep them fixed on the space. That is purely a mechanical, not a thematic thing. But everything else, I mean, the spaces, collect cards, play a card, use the um, discard ability, go to the chief's tent and fulfill one of the chief's tiles, or, you know, go to this place and get some what was it called Kumis or whatever? It's basically Mead from Raiders of North Sea. And there's like there's so many similarities, it's unreal. But the game is still fun. And I, I caned it victory point wise. But yeah, if you enjoy Raiders of North Sea, you're going to enjoy this one. There's just no reason you would like one and not the other. But I will say, I'm not the biggest fan of this art style. It's just not for me. I'm not saying it's bad art, but it's just... Not for me. I would much rather play Raiders of the North Sea with the artwork they use on there. The setting is also more interesting in the North Sea, I think, than this one. But I'm also not a fan of the graphic design they use, because there's a lot of yellows and browns all over this board. And a lot of the resources that they print on there are basically brown pots. And even worse, I'm wondering if I can find a... Yeah, these brown pots here. But... You see this provision symbol here. It's basically a basket with a little bit of color in the top of it. That's all it is. It's basically a brown basket, right? There is a wagon symbol in this game, which looks very similar, if not identical, to the way a brown provision looks. It's a brown wagon. So if you're looking at it on the screen here, there's two provisions right there, and there's a wagon next to it. At a distance, they look pretty much the same in bad lighting they will look exactly the same and you're supposed to be able to distinguish them importantly because they restrict where you can go i found that to be a weird thing to be missed out when designing this game and doing the artwork but as i say that's a problem i have so if you want a condensed version of this game without having to buy expansions this one i would probably recommend you get because it is basically its own game with no expansions but i think if you were to get the base set of raiders only you would have a simpler game so it's more accessible than this one is because this one does have a couple of extra rules thrown in but honestly if you're willing to get the first expansion for raiders of the north sea and it's not a problem for you The second expansion I can take or leave, but it adds some cool stuff, but you don't have to use it. But honestly, I would probably prefer to get Raiders of the North Sea with the first expansion and just leave it at that. You know, a couple of little things in this game kind of are nitpicks. I mean, well, I say nitpick. I've got a problem with the wound system. In Raiders of the North Sea, you have Valkyries that you know are there, and you know they're going to kill off one of your guys. Okay, fine. You know it's there, and you know to expect it here though you throw these dice um when you go to combat just like before except the dice have wound symbols on them and you take wounds and they lower the strength and eventually kill off your guys but the thing is it's random what wounds you get so at least with the valkyrie you know what to expect and the die roll yes that's a random roll but you pretty much know what you're aiming for with the uh the boundaries on the victory points but here you don't necessarily know what to expect from wounds and my mate rolled so badly on the wounds in this first combat that it really set him back the whole for a long time in the game all because of random die rolls i think there's just too much luck in those wound dice yes you can heal wounds and there's ways to mitigate it after the fact but there's not many ways to mitigate the actual die rolls or minimize the wounds you need very specific crew members to do that yeah i just found that a little bit annoying really but let's say the game is still really good but if I'm giving Raiders of North Sea a nine I'm giving this one an eight you know I don't think it's as good as Raiders of North Sea but they are just so similar again why was this even made I just don't get it Oh well, let's talk about something that's definitely uh, been on the cards for ages. Oh my word, is it taking me so long to play Nidavellir? And I know that a certain friend of mine from Iceland is going to quote me the exact name it's, and pronunciation. I'm just going to call it Nidavellir because that's how the letters look on the screen and how people would recognise this game. Okay, it's not. I know that's not the official pronunciation, but. I don't live in Iceland. This is designed by Serge Leger and I forget who pronounces it, like Gruer Games, G-R-G-R-R-E games, but Essentially, this is one that has been on my want-to-play list for so long, it is unreal. You know, I thought like, ooh, it's got good reviews. I don't know if I want to play a bidding game, but, you know, the card system looks cool. And I just thought, All right, at some point I'm going to play this. So I got a very cheap deal online, brand new. I think it was from Zatu at the time. And I think I managed to get this and the Thingvalier expansion for about £30. It was a pretty good ch- cheap deal for the two of them. And then it sat on my shelf of shame for ages. Because the rulebook's not particularly good with this. And I decided the only way I wanted to play it, outside of Board Game Arena, because I didn't want to mess around on that either, was for someone to teach me it. Took a while for me to get the person who I knew was going to teach me it to the table. That was the problem. The rulebook is not great with this one. Basically, it's it's not that the rules are explained in a complex way, although a couple of bits are a bit weird uh, with some of the cards you get but the rulebook lays all the stuff out in the most awkward fashion i've seen for a long time you know key rules for certain aspects are not explained until say two pages later after you get referred to them it's weird i don't get where somebody thought the layout of this book was good it's not awful i have seen worse rulebooks, but it was enough to put me off wanting to learn it straight from the rulebook. and believe me it's quicker to be taught this than it is to play it but the game basically involves you collecting sets of cards, sets of uh, like character cards. They come in five different colours and they score in different ways. Two of them are kind of like ascending scales of points. One of them is just flat out points. One of them gets you points for the value of the cards plus a bonus at the end of the day, if you end of the game if you have the most. And another one is a weird system of counting the number of orange banners and then multiplying it by the values associated on those banners. It's weird. The orange one is not explained very well in the rulebook and it's one of those sets where it's a rubbish set unless you can get a ton of them in which case it's almost outright broken it's a weird character set but basically you are bidding on these each round from these taverns using these giant coins you start off with some very piffly ones but you can upgrade them by playing your zero coin at times to these different coins of higher value and the idea is is that you have free taverns basically in the middle of the table i had better pictures of the taverns earlier but uh, you know can't seem to get them right now but the idea is is that in these free taverns there'll be cards laid out and you place your coins on your board face down simultaneously with other players and you're bidding for those cards so you may have a tavern that has free cards in it that you really really want or like a card that you really, really want. And you think, well, I better bid high. But then does somebody else have higher coins than me? Are they going to outbid me on this? You know, how's it going to work? So you kind of have to sort of decide which battles you're going to try and win. And there's a tiebreaker rule, which honestly is defunct after the first round. It seems ridiculous. It's like you, you pretty much never tie in the second half of this game or the second two thirds of this game. It's So it's kind of a stupid rule because by that point, everybody's got such vastly different coins that the art of tying just doesn't happen but you know you basically just do round after round of getting these cards laid out in the three different taverns and bidding on them and then eventually era one ends you use some more powerful cards you scrap some others and you go again for another few rounds and then you total up the points of all your sets which honestly the scoring takes longer I think than you know some of the game really but finally I've got to play it I have been wanting to play this for a while, despite the bidding motif might not be for me. Did I enjoy it? Yes. Yeah, I did. <laughs> uh, people were sort of wondering if I was going to hate on this game. No, I actually did enjoy it. I, I felt like I didn't really know how to do well in it on my first game, and I think that's going to be the case for a lot of people. But I did come second. I came second out of three people by only about 20 odd points, and that is one annoyance with the game. The game is one of those ones where you score an absolute bucket of points. I mean, the winner had just over 300, and I had 290 something. But. Yeah, the points get a little bit out of control in this game. You know, gaining two points really doesn't seem like a big deal. But the bidding system is quite cool and the fact you can upgrade your coins is nice. And when you complete entire rows of the colors, all five colors, you get a hero card which you take from a deck of god knows how many heroes. There's quite a lot of them in there. You choose one and you add it to your tableau in some way. Now, that's a double-edged sword though. Because, firstly, this game has quite a lengthy setup. you got to set up three different taverns worth of cards. Everybody's got to get their coins and their own tavern board. But then you've got to put together this kind of finickety stand with the coins on it and allocate the right coins for player count on there. Get the heroes laid out and stuff. There's quite a little bit of fiddly setup involved. The other problem is that hero deck. The hero deck sounds cool. all right. You get to go through and pick one of these really cool heroes. Yes, that's all well and good until you play against anybody who has analysis paralysis now we didn't have analysis paralysis so we weren't too bad but even me on my first game were thinking oh christ which hero do i pick but you've got to look through a good 20 to 30 heroes in that deck particularly more if you've got thing Valir involved as well and they do different things the iconography is not intuitive in this game so you are basically Having to explain how each of them works. And when you get a hero, you get to look through the entire deck. That's quite insane. That can really drag the game out while you're waiting for somebody to look through the whole hero deck and pick a hero out while answering questions on how half the heroes work. Some of them are pretty straightforward, but a lot of them have got weird rules, particularly the black heroes, which have, you know, the black coloured ones. They've got, like, unique rules to all of them, and you won't be able to figure out what they do just from the iconography on most of them. So that's a little annoyance. I mean, I like the idea of having a ton of heroes that I can pick from. I mean, it's cool, but just bear in mind it does have that little drag effect. These scales, these green and purple ones, are also a bit on the weird side, because I thought I was being, like, unique by saying, right, I'm going to focus on getting a lot of heroes this game. Turns out everybody gets a bunch of heroes in the game, so it didn't really feel unique. Trying to gun for a single colour is incredibly difficult because this scale here goes up to something like 15 cards of a single color to get to ridiculous amount of points yeah you try getting 15 you try getting 10 or more greens or purples it's very unlikely and and i doubt anybody's getting like 12 to 15 of them in a game and still doing well i just can't see it happening but the thing i found out though was that these coins that you can upgrade are just paramount I, well, actually, I don't know. I don't know if they're paramount. I didn't upgrade my coins as much. In fact, I took an artifact from the expansion that stopped me being able to upgrade coins, but it gave me a shed load of points. And I still came second. Second. But I found that if you don't upgrade to these high value coins you just don't win particular auctions and so you struggle to get the cards you really want. You really do have to get your coins up to stupidly high values or get cards that mitigate it otherwise you're really in a bit of a downward position and I feel that that kind of pigeonholes you into worrying about the coins a lot but... As I say, you know, the game was still fun, and I liked collecting the different sets. I liked the choices that I was making, and I liked the idea that I'm trying to think, oh, who's, who's going to bid what? Now, we played this with three players, and I think that's probably my the way I would want to play this game, actually. Two sounds okay, but I think three is just, like, it seems like a good balance between multiple opponents, but the game not dragging out for ages, and, you know, like, speed and settlement, how many ages you play. Four and five just feels like the game's going to drag on a little bit longer with more players. Not to mention, how on earth are you supposed to figure out what three or four other people are going to be bidding coin-wise? It does seem a little bit on the tricky side. But, free player, I really enjoyed this game. I thought it was a good laugh. The artwork in it's really cool. This dark and black, uh, sort of, what do you call it? Black scale? grayscale artwork you know it it, with some color thrown in it pops on the table quite nicely i wish you didn't have to assemble that stupid stand with the well not assemble i I wish you didn't have to sort of load up that weird stand with the coins but i suppose you could lay it out without but it does make life a little bit easier during the game to upgrade your coins but it just is a bit of setup so yeah i want to play this some more i want to now that i know the rules i want to teach this to other people i want to play it with other player accounts and see if i'm wrong about the four or five thing um i'm curious actually because there's a lot of differing opinions about this one from a uh player count side so i'm curious in the comments let me know your thoughts on the and what player count you re- you think is best and why uh as for the thing valier expansion which is basically a tiny expansion for less than a tenner that you throw in i can take or leave i mean tom vassal gave it like a nine out of ten i think the base game and uh, a nine out of ten for the thing valier expansion i'm um, a little bit more on a 7 out of 10 for the expansion it basically adds another place you can visit if you win an auction which again makes winning the coin so much more important but basically if you win an auction you can decide to go to a market board and it gets you some artifacts and some mercenary heroes mercenary heroes are basically dual color heroes that you can choose at the end of a round where they go and artifacts do some cool stuff The only problem is you have to explain to everybody what all the artifacts do as they come out because they're not intuitive uh, iconography and sometimes you just get some artifacts that are just downright rubbish or you find that the cards just don't shift very much in them. So it's not a particularly complex addition to the game although the heroes ads are a little bit more fiddly so I might be hesitant to include those but Yeah, I mean, I could take it or leave it. It's a nice extra choice to have, but I don't think it's one of those expansions that you throw in and always leave in. I feel like with new players, I'd probably want to give them less things to worry about. And honestly, if somebody said, we want to play Nidavellir and I don't have the expansion, I'd be like, fine. Because honestly, it doesn't add that much. It's a neat little expansion, but yeah, nowhere near essential at all. Right, okay, well, let's get off Nidavellir. It's like I say, good game. At the moment, I give it an 8. I've got some issues with it, but it's still a great game, I think. And for a bidding game, I'm not usually a bidding game fan. That's saying something. But yeah, I'd like to play this some more. And I have the game, so hopefully that will happen soon. All right, let's move on to Paleo. Paleo, oh my word. You want to talk about games that I've had for a while and not bothered to play. This one was on impossible to get for ages. Like It barely got any distribution in the UK. And then you essentially had like, you know, out of print for ages, then it, I saw it at Essen, but you could only play it in the, the French language, I think, or German language, so I couldn't play it then, then it finally got some UK distribution, cost a bit though, £50 or something for the game, I thought it was quite expensive, but, uh, you know, I thought, oh, I want to play this game, I want to play this game, and then I bought it, and then, much like Nidder the Valier, it sat on my shelf of shame for ages because of COVID and all the rest, It's like, for crying out loud, will I get this game played? I've literally just come from the club, my Portsmouth club, And I've played this game. So yes, I have just literally played it. It was the second to last game of the night. Do I like it? Yeah, so far. Actually, well, this wasn't a weird one, actually. I, I do like it. I think <laughs> it's kind of hard. Basically, it's a co op game where you're basically tribesmen, sort of like uh, Neanderthal times, you know, paleo American type thing. And what happens is you basically have to survive and get five victory points, which are represented by this cool little cave painting tiles. But you have to do it before you get five skull tiles, which basically are people dying or bad stuff happening to you. So, whichever one happens first dictates the uh, outcome of the game. Each of you has... but well, You you have two modules that you mix in, and the modules are like A to J, and they're sets of cards. You mix them with the base set cards, you separate some other decks that are like dreams and inventions and stuff like that you can do, and then you dish out the cards evenly to players and give each person a couple of characters. It represents their tribe. But it's full co-op, so you're working together and all the resources are effectively pooled. But... What you do is that you select free cards from the top of your deck that you get dished out to you. And they're all different backs on the cards. Forest, mountain, uh, danger, camp, that kind of thing. And you look at the free and you decide which one you want to explore. You put the rest on the top of your deck. So you can decide, do I go for the treacherous card now and just get it out of here, get it off my uh system maybe succeeding get a bonus you don't know but then do i do one of the other cards i mean forest i could probably get wood and food what do i really want well i kind of need stone Well, i probably should go to the mountains then it's that kind of thing but you everybody chooses one simultaneously and then you flip the card over and you choose which order you want to resolve them in and they basically involve simplistic actions where you need certain symbols and quantity and maybe have to discard cards on the top of your deck it's got a very kind of seventh continent feel in that respect actually it kind of reminded me of that but the actions are pretty straightforward and they get you things like food stone and wood or allow you to build inventions a bit like in a bit like robinson crusoe actually in that respect where you can build like a spear or build a mallet or build a tent or build a stone circle and pray and stuff you know little things like that but the modules dictate what your kind of ability to get victory points is. Like, if you play the first modules that we did, modules A and B, you're basically trying to hunt mammoths and like kill big prey. So, getting a lot of spears is probably a good idea. We lost quite horrendous, horrend, horrendously. I mean, I thought it was meant to be an easy scenario. Well, it is if you know that you pretty much have to get a ton of spears (laughs) because you know i started off with nothing but eyeballs you know the scouting one we didn't have a lot of spears between us the only decent amount of spears we did get were on a card that said you got less food which was not a good thing but yeah we just struggled to we just got really unlucky with the cards and that and this is one negative of the game a bit like in pandemic the cards could just come out in such a way that you are hosed you know like bad timing will happen on a regular basis but the artwork's good it looks very pretty it does have this stupid stand that you assemble which has like the inventions and the tiles on it it is so fiddly to put together it's fiddly to put in the box like you have to take the bottom bit off and remove the insert entirely otherwise this thing will not fit in the box and all it does is basically holds the invention cards and tiles if it didn't have the cost of the free basic inventions, spear and that on there I would honestly say you could do without this entire component but if you remove the component and just lay out the cards and tiles you then don't know what makes those three basic inventions you have to remember it so it's kind of annoying I feel like somebody should have made a reference sheet for these by now but I'll say it's it's not too bad it's okay but yeah I think they saw the Everdell tree and thought oh yeah we can copy something like that but yeah it's a pretty stupid component but the rest of it you get wooden pieces, a bit like, you know, portal games would do stuff like this. You get some cool artwork, tiles. You know, I like the cutesy sort of artwork on, you know, the people and the various cards. It's very colourful, it pops, everything, the you know, iconography is pretty intuitive, actually. It's pretty easy to tell what you've got to discard, what you've got to get rid of, or how many icons and that. It's a very intuitive game. But the cool thing is, is that, this does have a nice element of cooperation where on the cards you have the ability to do the action that you want but you also have a help other player action you can choose to ignore your card you know what can't do it or i don't feel like doing it it's not worth it and you can ask other players to help you so they can pull together their resources and their symbols to help you do your task and you know if you're fighting a mammoth for example you probably are going to want to do that but trying to find a good example of an action card, and there seems to be very little around on BoardGameGeek at the moment, but I'll find one. Oh yeah, this is your insert. Horrible red five standing by trench with a couple of little slits in it. Trust me, you will ditch that insert in no time at all. It is rubbish. And you'll get plenty of bags to bag up all the different modules in different bags. Trust me, you're going to want to do that. But it's basically a handshake symbol on the card. And you you pull together your resources and you can help each other do uh, different things. And you keep going. You choose free cards again and then free cards again and then free cards again until you get to the end of your deck. Once everybody's finished their decks, you essentially uh, feed your people, reset for the next round and go again. This person here has got six people, which means they had a ton of food. How on earth did they survive this game with that much requirement? But... Yeah, we just got hosed because we just had bad timing with the cards and we just didn't have enough spear symbols. We were always one short or people couldn't help because they were doing um, treacherous cards. And it just proved to be a bit of a problem. But like I say, I felt we could have won it if we'd done things differently. It was a learning game at the end of the day. It was my first game as well. So it's a fun, cute co-op game. It does suffer from alpha player syndrome a bit more than other co-ops can, though. Because if you have one... I mean, I accept this is a player fault, not a game fault. But if people... If you do get an alpha player in your group that knows this game inside and out, there's a high danger that they can dictate what you do. We didn't have that problem. We all worked together. We talked. We cooperated. And you are involved on almost every turn because of the way that you can help other players and the fact you're doing a lot of stuff simultaneously. It does get a little bit annoying if someone finishes their deck really early and has to sit around and wait for everybody else to finish theirs. That's a little bit of a pain, but it doesn't take too long. And it can be frustrating if somebody got dealt a bunch of uh, danger cards and, you know, uh, or stuff that requires a ton of symbols and just doesn't really have a lot to do on their turns. The random distribution of cards can make some of these experience less so, but we all enjoyed it. And I'm going to hang on to this one, but I'm going to see what it's like playing it solo because... As much as I thought it was nice to play it with other people, I feel like playing this with four would probably just make life quite hard. You'd have a lot of people to feed, but three players seem quite good. Two players seems like it would be fine, although you might struggle to get a lot of the skill symbols. I think three seemed like a good balance to have enough skill symbols, but solo all you basically do, as much as there aren't any solo rules in the game, you would just control multiple tribes. And there's not a lot of admin upkeep with these, so I don't see why you couldn't control two, if not three tribes by yourself without any trouble. So I'm gonna try that. I'll try to get it played over the weekend and see if I enjoy it with different modules. but yeah, I'm gonna play this solo, see how it compares to playing it multiplayer, see if it's, uh, you know got the legs and that. and you know, so far, so good. You know, I'm glad I bought this. I'm glad I tried it. I don't think this is worth £50, though. I think if you can get this on a cheap deal, I probably would suggest it. But, yeah. Cutesy Co-op. I think it won the Kenner Spiel Award as well, actually. Which makes me feel a little bit weird. I don't think this is a Kenner Spiel-level complexity game. I think this would have probably been a Spiel game, really. But, as I say, it. I think it won the award, didn't it? I'm not entirely sure, did it? I can't remember. But, uh i think it did i'm pretty certain it won the kenner spiel but never mind but yeah it's uh yeah here we go 2021 kenner spiel de Yaris winner so yeah well done to pedio and i have to admit i can see the merits of this game and why it would win the uh thing because it does feel like a light condensed love child of robinson crusoe uh the lost expedition if you know that from austria games um z garcia agrees with me on that actually um because he mentioned a similar thing in his review but also Seventh Continent in a way. It's kind of like an amalgamation of those three done to a much lighter extent. You are going to know what cards come up, though, once you've played the modules. There's only so much replay value once you've played all the modules, but there's still plenty of enough modules in there, and you can mix and match them to your heart's content. You don't have to play with the recommended ones. So, uh, yeah, I can see this one uh, uh, going to mile. But, yeah, I enjoyed it. I look forward to playing it some more. Whew, right, time to take a drink. Or, or free cool but I mean, needed that right 42 minutes let's talk about the discussion topic here factors that gets basically the question was i forget the exact wording but basically it was what factors contribute to you growing sick of a game so when a game kind of like whittles down over time and there's no longer as fun as you remember what kind of things go into that and I, do, I just thought that was a really good question thanks emily i'm surprised i've not thought of that before but yeah, this one was pretty good because games don't last forever. I mean, I know they're timeless, but there's only so many games that you're going to want to play over and over and over again. I mean, you could play something to death pretty easily, apart from maybe a few choice games that you will just always enjoy, or perhaps have so much replay value that you will never play every combination that there is. But some games, a lot of mine, I mean, I'm taking a lot of games to the Brin and buy this weekend. Uh, there's just games that grow tiresome. You know they get repetitive or certain aspects of the game make you think oh, i just can't be bothered to do that you know it's and these can hurt games and when you've got tons of games and you want to play these really cool ones you have to get a little bit more picky with your game choices and this contributes a little bit to me doing honest reviews because games are getting more expensive i need to be able to tell you my honest thoughts to help you make your decision as to whether you want to buy a game or not you could completely go against what i have to say and buy the game anyway great at least you made a decision based on the review or you may save yourself a bit of cash by not buying a game that might actually be a bit lackluster for you so you know that's sort of stuff i find useful to give but yeah i'm just going to go through a few uh, examples and mention some well some examples of factors as well as examples of games if i can think of them but here's one that's really good uh length of the game Now, long games can get tiresome after a while, particularly if, I mean, there are exceptions. I've got Lacerda's here and Mind Clashy games, and they take like three hours a piece to play. So they're long games, but if the length isn't justified, that can grate a bit. Not to mention that if there's another game that can do it shorter but similar feel, that will probably kick it down. But that's a mild factor. Really, when I'm talking about length, setup length is actually one that kills it for me now and again. Because I feel like I want to get a game to the table and I want to play it. But if I know it's going to be a long teach with a long setup for a game that doesn't warrant it that does get a little bit annoying and i mentioned like with a couple of the games here like uh, paleo has that stupid um c- uh, component on the side and you've got to combine the modules you know it has a fairly length um, lengthy setup but then what was the other one nidavalia you've got to sort out all those coins on that workbench thing and that can get a little bit on the fiddly side but there's quite a few games where you think oh blimey there's a lot to set up there now with a medium and heavyweight game you expect a bit more setup but If they can be done quick, the better. I mean, one of the best things I could say about Sentinels in the Multiverse, I mentioned before, which is the fact that it's such a speedy setup. I can literally just dish out the decks and do the setup of the villain, draw four cards, and I'm basically done. So that sort of game will really strike a chord with me because I know that if I want to play it, I can just get it played as soon as possible. But trying to think of a game that I've got that I've wanted to get rid of recently or. or or thought of getting rid of where the setup is a little bit lengthy like oh my god have I got to go through that entire setup I mean Star Wars Outer Rim on my shelf is a example because that's got a fairly lengthy setup in it uh, before you get going uh let's see. Sleeping gods. Well, Sleeping Gods is eh, Sleeping Gods could be one actually, because you've got to set up like nine characters, and you've got to set up the book, you've got to set up the board and all your resources, and then if you save the game, you've got to go through this horrific save game system before you can get playing it. Which is why this is a game that I have to set up once, leave out on the table, and not pack it away until I'm done with the campaign, because otherwise I think it would drive me absolute bonkers. Uh LCGs can have that problem now and again because you've got to deck build and you know Arkham Horror LCG can have some quite lengthy setups as well but you know if I enjoy the game enough I'm not usually too fast but yeah there are games where I look at them and go mm, if I got to set that up oh, that's going to take a while and there have been games I've gotten rid of where I'm just like oh, do I really have to bother with the setup of this I mean uh, Nemesis could be a good example I've got Nemesis kickstarter on my bottom shelf but man, does it take a while to set up Nemesis and get it sorted and get your characters and get everything out of the box. And I'm just like, does it warrant that long setup? I don't know. That's time wasted setting up a game. I don't enjoy setting up games. I like to play games. So that can be a bit of a problem in itself. Uh, lack of replay value is kind of an obvious one. I mentioned Sentinels and the amount of replay value in that is insane. Padio, I just mentioned, eventually you're going to see all those cards... Is there going to be enough replay value in the game to warrant, you know, what it does? But there are some games where I'm kind of like, haven't played them in a while because I've seen everything that they kind of offer. You know, games like, you know, kind of Tokyo I've not played in a while because I've kind of seen the cards of, you know, the monsters aren't that well differentiated depending on what edition you get. And I'm kind of like, mm, I've seen it, seen it, seen it uh story driven games can have this problem like uh near and far i do like near and far a lot haven't played it a lot though because the problem is is that i don't want to play it in arcade mode but i've already played the campaigns so nothing would be necessarily new from a uh, storytelling perspective and I, I feel like i'm picking on the ryan lockett's games here i don't really mean to uh let's see if I can find some other examples uh, uh cascadia Now that's got decent amount of replay value uh Smash Up would be an example of a length... Well, actually, that's not lengthy length setup, but that game just sort of takes a while, not to mention it's in a huge box. Mystic Veil, vale, on the other hand, would be a quite a lengthy setup, and so would Edge of Darkness, but I enjoy them. I'm trying to think of an example of, like a, well, there's loads of examples, really. I mean, it's just, if a game doesn't offer a decent amount of replay value and it feels the same every time you play it, then... It does grow a little bit tiresome after a while. You, you and if you have seen everything, eventually you're just not going to play it as often. And then you just think, you know what? I'll chuck it. Now's the time to chuck it. Yeah, you, know, you can only play something so often before it starts to get a little bit on the, uh, you know, repetitive side. Uh, let's try a different one there. Uh, time, just time. Yeah. Your, t- your tastes change over time and so eventually you may just grow sick of a particular game like uh, I eventually I, I first liked Amerigo which is like one of the few Stefan I actually Stefan Feld games I liked but eventually I just got bored with its dry theme we'll come on to that a bit in a minute but you know eventually my taste kind of changed I didn't really feel like playing those sort of games and I got rid of it. But, you know, other times there would just be a game that has sat on the shelf for so long, I haven't got it off the shelf to play, and I just think, yeah, I'm kind of good, I just, if I haven't got it off in this time, then why do I still own it, why am I still holding on to it, and plenty of games are on my shelf, kind of thinking like, oh, I don't know, should I? Rajas of the Ganges is on my shelf there. And I do like the game, but I've not taken it off the shelf in ages. And it's getting to that point where am I ever going to take it off the shelf and play it again? I don't know. Uh, you know, Yinch is another one. I love the game Yinch. I just haven't played it in Donkey's Ages. Uh, the only reason I think I keep Pandemic uh, Iberia at all is because it's the best of the Pandemic series. And I keep it in case I want to play it with gateway players. But it doesn't really work as well for that but yeah your tastes just change you eventually grow sick of a game if you haven't played it enough or if you just think you know what i used to like these games but now i don't i mean i remember playing a bunch of steve jackson style card games when i was like back in university and i kind of just grew tired of them um rpgs i don't really play anymore i used to but i kind of grew tired of you know, those over time, my taste changed, I preferred to play other things, I've done it with CCGs as well, you uh, know, I mean, Magic the Gathering I played quite a lot, but then eventually just kind of like, yeah, I'm kind of done with it, I don't want to like spend all this money on it, and I was just, you know, it was time to uh, let it go. Uh, dry themes, dry themes, this is another thing, because one of my, uh, like, laws, kind of like weird laws that I have, is that a with the exceptions, because there are some dry games that I still really, really like, but a, thematic, a a dry, good mechanical game will make me enjoy a game. A good theme will bring me back for the second play. It's kind of like an unwritten Hector's lore, effectively, here. And that does have an effect... A game with a strong theme is likely to stay on my shelf more than a game without a decent theme. And this could be just a theme setting that I really like, or a game that just feels really thematic. Kanban EV, right behind me here, is not going to be a game that I'm going to be getting rid of anytime soon. It's a great Euro, it's mechanically solid, and it's about making cars. I like cars. You know, the idea of running the factory and dodging your boss and that, the theme is just really strong in that game. So it's going to be on my shelf for a long time. But then for, you know, and there are exceptions. I mean, Pulsar to 2849, you know, as dumb a title as the 2849 is, it's a super dry game. It's a point salad. There is nothing thematic in this game whatsoever. But I still give it a 10 out of 10 and think it's one of my favorite dry point salad games. It's just such a smooth mechanical system. And I think going back to that lack of replay value this thing has a ton of replay value you can try multiple paths to victory you can have loads of different combinations of technologies and that. i mean this game is just suited to me which is why it's one of my exceptions to the rule in that sense but i'm trying to think of other games i mean rajas the ganges doesn't really have much of a theme to it so again maybe the dry theme is uh not helping with that one but Gotta yeah, thing. it's probably is I don't tend to remember games that I've sold because well, I sold them for a reason. <laughs> you know, I was hoping like not to uh like have to play them as much, but you know, I mean, Steffenfeld, Reiner Knizia games, I've probably oh, yeah, well, here's one I got rid of. Uh, I know I've still got Yellow and Yangsty. I was thinking of Tigris and Euphrates, that doesn't count because I've got that, but certainly a dry game is going to. I mean, to be honest, you don't really care which ones I've sold. I mean, these are just factors that go into what I consider to be a game I want to sell. And yeah, dry theme. You know, if the theme is that dry, the mechanics have got to be sound for me to want to keep playing it. Like, they've got to be really smooth, streamlined, or just really fun. And it might just be a case that, you know what? not a big fan you know it's too dry you know a lot of these uh like games like uh you know well old classics like Kalos and stuff like that that people liked you know I I mean I might like the worker placement part of it but the theme might be just so dry and bland that I just don't care all this mining coal and iron and stuff like brass you know for example you know you know, is there a theme in Brass? I don't know. I don't really get it. And even then, I don't care about the Industrial Revolution setting. It's boring as all get-out for me. You know, so what do I care if I... You know, I'd, I'd grow tired of that one quite quick. Uh, Paladins of the West Kingdom, actually, is a, probably a good example on there. That one's got a decent amount of replay value, I will say. But you do find that you are basically just picking two actions on that board and uh, spamming them the entire game. That's basically all you do in Paladins. But this is a point salad, yes, but unlike Pulsar 2849, it doesn't really have the legs to uh, stick around for me. It's just... A bit too dry for me. It's like there is the theme is like non-existent in this. It's just colored meeples and do stuff with colored meeples. Not to say that architects and viscounts have the strongest themes either, but the mechanics of both of them I just think are sound. And I would argue that there is some half-decent theme represented in the architects game, particularly when it comes to arresting people and, you know, getting them out of prison and stuff and the way virtue works. But yeah, Paladins is a straight up themeless point salad game, but it just doesn't have the the interesting mechanics or uh, replay value like multiple paths to victory like uh, fun that something like pulsar does for me but that's you know that one i actually gave i think an 8 out of 10 when i first reviewed it but i quickly started seeing the chinks in the armor and now it's a 6 you know i got rid of it it's the one in the west kingdom i don't own so um it's kind of weird actually i said this the other night i only like raiders of the north sea out of the north sea trilogy I mainly like two of them out of the West Kingdom trilogy. So this new South Tigris trilogy that they're doing, can I continue the trend and finally be free for free? That would be quite cool. Sadly, it doesn't look like I'm getting a review copy of the uh, Wayfarers of the South Tigris. I very much doubt I'm one of the allocated people, because I have not received anything from Garpill Games for a donkey's ages, despite giving all the praise to Architects and Viscounts. Seriously. But... Uh, But then Australia posting to the UK is quite expensive. So if that's the reason, I can kind of accept that. Although I can't imagine it's that much cheaper posting to, uh, you know, Scandinavia, other bits of Europe and America, frankly. I mean, it's Australia. But I don't know. I digress. So, yeah, dry themes are certainly another one. A big one that certainly does come into effect. Box size and storage is a factor. Because the game has taken up precious space on my shelf. Do I really want to... In fact, actually, before I get on the box size, I just had a thought. The game that I have not played, that I want to sell, but I don't know how I'm going to sell it in its crate form. Marvel Legendary. I've got loads of expansions in that. I've got a bunch of the cards, but it's in that giant wooden crate. This kind of links to this one. Box size and storage. It's taking up a huge amount of space on the top in that storage container. Yet, I can't seem to sell it, but I really think I ought to get it off my shelf. And there's plenty of Marvel Legendary stuff in there with dividers. But the setup for Marvel Legendary? Oh my word. That game takes forever to set up Marvel Legendary. And it's a big put-off. In fact, to be honest, as much as I like the Alien Legendary more, I haven't played that in ages. Because again, that game has a lot of setup involved in it. So yeah, I've kind of reversed back about four categories there. But I've just literally thought of them. And I thought, oh yeah, probably should mention that. But yeah, box size and storage nemesis could be a problem after a while i mean the theme of nemesis is great although playing it solo isn't as fun as playing it multiplayer and it is a long game but it's taken up a fair amount of boxes on my shelf tainted grail is also doing that but i've got a couple of campaigns to play in tainted grail and i enjoyed a game enough that i'm willing to keep it but yeah, some games I have been like, if I can't condense this down, I need to consider getting it off my shelf, and it could just be like a big game itself, like for example, the Quacks of Mega Box. you know, it's a big box for effectively a push-a-luck game, do I really need to have something as big as that on my shelf? I'm not entirely sure, uh, you know, games like Edge of Darkness take up a lot of space on the shelf because it comes in a jumbo box, if I didn't enjoy the game so much, I might have sold that one a while ago, but... Yeah, if, if a game is taking up a lot of space uh, it could potentially be one that I get rid of on the basis that it, it's got to be one that I really like but it would be tricky for me to take it to a club night for example uh, trying to think of other factors um, I think the main thing is just long setup is definitely a factor that usually gets on my work uh, my was well gets on my wit quite a bit dry themes is definitely a factor Um. Uh, Lack of replay value a little bit. Time is a big factor. I mean, there are just times where I think I have not played this game in ages. So am I ever going to play this game? Probably not. I think I'll just get rid of it. But yeah, there's not many other reasons. I mean, the only other reason I can think of is uh, a game comes out to replace it uh which is not something usually planned for but maybe you find a game that does does the same thing as the other one did like i i i started getting bored of carcassonne i felt that the games just lacked a bit of replay value with you know you could build the map in different ways but you are just kind of doing the same stuff all the time but also uh small islands came out and i believed well like i say you can check out my uh top 10 games at top 10 games that killed other games that top 10 that studied back in january i think and that's an example of where a game has come out and killed something else so i've sold the original one so i don't have carcassonne anymore i instead have small islands and i think it's a better game overall so that certainly can and and, you know it doesn't i suppose it's not always a case that i'm sick of a game i probably have gotten slightly sick of carcassonne like i'm not that desperate to play carcassonne ever again even though i give it utmost respect as a gateway game But, yeah, I'd much rather play Small Islands. And there are a few that just uh, are a bit like that. Uh, Oh, I'm just seeing awkward guests on my shelf. Oh, yeah. Long setup? That is an example of a pretty lengthy setup for that. But, like I say, I'm still enjoying it and wanting to keep it for now. (laughs) But there are other deduction games I have. So... Yeah, I think that's most of the factors that I can think of, really. So, long setup length game, lack of replay value, just time, your taste change, you don't feel like playing it um, anymore, you decide you want to play different types of games. I mean, there was a phase where I wasn't playing a huge amount of co-ops, but I came back into that phase quite a bit. Uh, But uh, worker placement, I mean, worker placement games I still really enjoy, but there's only so much you can do with worker placement now, so even the mechanic itself is starting to get a little bit run down. Uh, didn't take me long to get sick of Roland rights though, so I suppose that doesn't matter. Uh, dry themes can be a big deal. I mean, I may like the game mechanically, but if the theme doesn't sell it to sell itself to me, I just might not be that pressing. Bring In fact, actually, I can see one over there. I'm tempted to sell. Actually, Majesty for the Realm. Great little game, Z-Man Games. A neat little card game, and it's pretty simple uh certainly i'd rather play it than what's the other one uh century spice road um, um and i don't I'd, I'd rather play splendor but splendor is so super fast and so super smooth and works for my family that even though that is bone dry it's done in dusted in 30 minutes and i just want to you know i'm happy enough to play it but majesty for the realm as much as i like the game and think it's good it's certainly underrated as all get out Doesn't really have much of a theme and kind of, you know, just, you know, the component coins seen as a problem. Constantly having to change up those uh, on a regular basis. I mean, I suppose that's another factor. It links into long setup, but basically fiddliness. Is there an aspect of the game that is so fiddly to operate that you just don't want to play it anymore? Some people find that with, well, actually, I'll be fair. Sentinels in the multiverse did have a lot of fiddly upkeep and admin in the original version, and it still has a little bit of that now. That was enough to put people off the game, and if they felt that the game was too fiddly, fine. You know, that's a perfectly good reason to not want to play it anymore. And this one, you know, you're constantly having to change the coins, but the theme is bone dry. I mean, there is no real theme in this game, and I just haven't brought it out in a while. But maybe I don't really feel like selling it, because it is quite a cool game. It is definitely underrated, but we'll have to see. So yeah, interesting little question there, and quite a hard one to answer. Because honestly, I just don't remember games that I've kind of got sick of, really. You know, if I've sold the game, it's out of my memory, and I don't have the best memory at the best of times. So it's not something that I can really easily comment on, but uh, yeah... Those factors can play a part. What about you in the comments? What factors play into your like decision to that you are getting bored of a game that it's whittling down over time? Do you match with mine? Do you have any better examples? Failing that, better still, do you have any factors that I have not mentioned? I'd be interested to know. Let us know in the comments. Oh, let's take another drink. Cool. Right, that's it. Tiny go to bed. Got work tomorrow, uh, an hour and three minutes. Good length for a podcast, but yeah, I'll edit this tomorrow night. Yeah, I've got some time tomorrow night. I'll edit it tomorrow night and then it will air on Sunday, but yeah, I've had to do this one early, straight after a club, and I'm tired. Definitely tired, but, uh, yeah thanks for everybody who's wished me well during covid that is now in the past thanks for everybody who's been commenting on the channel with good comments uh, again welcome well done to Chewy Low for winning the uh, sentinels in the multiverse competition giveaway uh by all means if you can you know like comment and subscribe to youtube channel and definitely like comment and subscribe on my instagram channel because i'm really trying to get my instagram to do better but it just seems to be so stagnant at the moment like people can have like 100 posts and still get 3,000 followers and, yeah, I've got more posts than I have followers. It, the Instagram like algorithms and that don't make any sense to me. But, you know, I'd, I'd like to know how that works. But, like I say, if you can, if you're on Instagram and you haven't found me on there yet, then please do and comment on the pictures when I do put some up. But, yeah, I've got a convention this weekend. So, uh, Shake, Battle, and Roll. I look forward to playing a lot of games there. Perseverance, I've got the delivery report through, is actually arriving tomorrow. So, that should be quite fun. But yeah, future content that's coming up. As I said, I look forward to doing these collaborations with those uh, aforementioned uh, content creators uh, once um, we've gotten the convention out of the way. The Quacks of Quedlinburg Beyond the Base Game video will go up. Uh, Well, I've got to do the video yet. But that one I'll have to do the video after the convention. But that will be next week at some stage. Uh, Any other ones I've got to review? I've done the Sentinels Comparison. I've done that one. No, and I've just talked about those games I've played. So once I've done with the Quacks game, um, oh yes, uh, I've got the Osprey, what was it Cryptid two-player game from Osprey Games? I need to review that one. And they've also sent me Crescent Moon. I know nothing about it apart from the fact that it's an asymmetric game which means it could be a problematic one to learn and get to the table but we'll see. So I've got a couple of those on the horizon but mainly I want to get some top 10 lists done you know as soon as possible whether collaboration or otherwise so and possibly even do some tier maker videos like I did with Spirit Island. They're not as popular view wise but they're fun to do as live stream ideas but like I But first, I need to get this busy period out of the way because April is quite a social time for me. I mean, my birthday is on Monday and, you know, this convention is this weekend and then there's Easter weekend coming up. And then there's BayCon, which I'll be attending in late April. So I look forward to that. There's a lot of stuff going on and it does make for a very fun, very lucrative, but also very tiring month. So we'll see how this goes along. So that's it for me. I'm going to sign off this podcast. Thank you for listening or watching, depending on your medium and uh, the... One thing I will also mention for future podcasts is that the ideas that you've suggested for what you want in the podcast and why you enjoy certain podcasts, you know, thank you, that's been quite useful. Uh, There's only so much that I can do from some of the suggestions, but one suggestion that some people had was for me to talk about uh, effectively sort of semi-review a game that's been on my shelf that I've not done a video for. So this is kind of a way to sort of go, oh, this game's been on my shelf for ages, but you've never talked about it. Well, Podcast segment will be one to do that. So that's something I'm going to start doing from the next podcast onwards, which will be not on Easter. It'll be on the 9th, 10th, or whatever. But oh no, no, it will be. It will be on Easter. Oh, I'll have to do that in advance and do that for Easter Sunday. But I know I'm getting ahead of myself. Thank you, everybody. Take care. And remember, as always, it's only a game. Bye for now. Remember to consider subscribing to the Patreon. Remember to subscribe to the channel and leave likes and comments. Remember to support small creators. Hashtag support small creators. Take care. Love you all. Bye for now.